You all have handouts, and you notice in the handout that the title of my sermon is The Greatness of God. That's the theme for today. You know, the text that I'm using is a psalm by David, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18, and also verses 23 to 24. As I always do, I ask for an anointing, and I walk through Psalm 1914. So join me as I pray. Dear Lord, this morning let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. 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 Robert Wilson was a brilliant professor of the Old Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary. And he did hold that position from 1900 to roughly 1929. And one of his students was Donald Barnhouse. And Barnhouse developed into one of the most famous Presbyterian pastors in the United States. And 12 years after Pastor Barnhouse graduated from Princeton, he was invited back to Princeton to preach. And when he got up to preach, he noticed the old professor of his, Dr. Wilson, sitting right in the front row to listen to him. And of course, his adrenaline gland went into hyperspace. And when the service ended, immediately Dr. Wilson, the professor, walked up to him. Pastor Barnhouse nervously greeted him, and Dr. Wilson extended his hand and said, it was great seeing you, but if you come back, I will not be here to listen to you again. Of course, Pastor Barnhouse was flabbergasted until he heard the rest of what the professor was saying. And he said, I only come to hear my students once. I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. Then I know how their ministry will turn out. I am glad to know that you are a big godder. You know, I read this story and I had to wonder to myself whether I am a big godder or a little godder. And I'm asking you to look at yourselves and ask the same question, or perhaps we can rephrase the question for you in this way. How great is your God? And let's put that to the test. Does the way you pray handle your finances, respond to pressure, stand for the truth, and express your worship, does it reveal a big God or a little God? Do your thoughts of God glorify him or grieve him? Do your prayers to God bless him or insult him? Does your giving show you trust God enough to give him your tithe and your time and your talent and believe that he will in turn meet all of your needs. A.W. Tozer said this, when it comes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then Tozer went on to say this, that what you think of God will determine your spiritual future. Now for many of us, as we get older, we somehow get smaller in our perception of God, and God seems to become littler in truth. As we grow older and as we go and we grow more in the faith, the bigger our God should get. 
And too many of us have a little faith in a little God when we should have great faith in a great God. But just how great is your God? King David wrote a psalm that gives us the most exhaustive description of the greatness of God found in the Bible. And this morning, we will travel through that psalm. Each verse is simple, yet each reveals an element of God's greatness. You know, we're going to learn today why the greatest knowledge that we could ever have is the knowledge of just how great a God he is. How great is our God? And how great should be our trust in him? So first in your outline, consider that we can trust the God that is omniscient in his perception. And the word omniscient comes from the Latin omne, which means all. And from the Latin word scientia, which means to know. It literally means all-knowing. God knows everything about everything and everyone all of the time. Most of you have been around someone who seemed to be a know-it-all. With God, he's not acting. He is the true know-it-all. 1 John 3.20 says, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Understand that God's knowledge is not just intellectual, it is personal. God doesn't just know about you, he knows you. He knows you better than you know you, and that is a frightening thought if you think about it. There was a prosecuting attorney in a small town who was trying a case. And he called as his first witness an elderly woman who had lived in that town all of her life and happened to be the nosiest gossip around. He said to her to test her bias, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She said, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a little boy. And he smiled until he heard the rest of what she had to say. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, you charge, you talk behind their backs, you charge too much money for your services, and you don't have the brains to realize that you're never going to amount to anything but a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. This lawyer was stunned. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room to the Defense attorney. And he said to Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? And she said, yes, I know him. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a kid too. In fact, I used to babysit him for his parents. He has been a tremendous disappointment to me as well. He's lazy. He's got a drinking problem. He cheated his way through law school and he can't find any woman to marry him. And he's one of the most crooked lawyers in the state. Yes, I know him. At this point, the judge's gavel came down with a thunderous bolt. And he said, silence. I want counsel to approach the bench. When they got there, in a very quiet voice, he said with fire in his eyes, if either of you asks her if she knows me, I'll throw you in contempt in jail. 
Well, God knows you. And first of all, he knows who you are. Our text, Psalm 139, beginning verse 1, says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And the Hebrew word search, the used here, literally means to pierce through or dig. In other words, God sees right through us. He has x-ray vision that can pierce the hardest heart. He has microscopic vision that can look down into the very inner core of your soul and down into the deep levels of your heart where only you and God are aware of. He sees where you are clean and where you are dirty, where you are right and where you are wrong, where you are good and where you are bad. Now God also knows what you think. Verse 2. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God sees our thoughts as if they were flashing on a neon sign. And God can read your mind as easily as you can read email. Listen to this. God not only knows what you're thinking right now, but he knows what you are about to think before you even think it. This very second... Your thoughts are being broadcast in stereo into the headphones of God. And you can't keep a secret from him because he knows everything. And then God knows where you go. Verse 3. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. And so whether you lie down or or get up, sit down or stand, God's, God's eyes are on you. God sees you when you're sleeping. God knows when you're awake. God knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? No, Santa Claus is not God. But God knows every place you go, everything you do, and every step you take. God knows the what, the when, the where, and the how of everything you do at any given moment. So don't ever think that God takes his eyes off of you. You're never out of his sight and you're never off of his mind. Finally, God knows what you say. Verse 4 states, before a word is on my tongue, before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Isn't that incredible? God not only knows what you say, he knows what you are going to say before you even say it. God knows your heart, he knows your mind, he knows your deeds and your words. And that is why David goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. In effect... What David said was, God's mind blows mine. God knows me north to south, east to west, inside and out, and still loves me and wants me. What a great God he is. Second in your outline, consider that we can trust the God who's omnipresent in his person. Listen to the question that David asks in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Now, most of you know that Yogi Berra once made a great observation. He said, I have noticed that everywhere I go, 
there I am. <laughs> well, everywhere we go, there God is. But unlike us, God has, never has to go anywhere. Because wherever anywhere is, God's already there. And death cannot take us away from the presence of God. Verse 8 states, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. So when you go to your grave, God is there waiting to take you to heaven so that when you get to heaven, he will be there waiting for you. Then distance cannot take you from the presence of God. Our text, verses 9 and 10, states, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And so no matter how high you can fly or how far you can swim, you will still be in the presence of God. Every time I get into an airplane, and you've experienced this as well, we're flying above the clouds on occasion, and I look out on these clouds, and I sometimes think about Psalm 104.3 that says, He makes the clouds his chariot, and he rides on the wings of the wind. Now darkness cannot take you from the presence of God. Verses 11 and 12 states, If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God not only has x-ray vision, he has infrared vision. He doesn't need night goggles in the dark. His eyes of light can pierce through any darkness, and that is why nothing can hide you or take you from the presence of God. God is so high that you can't get over him. God is so low that you can't get underneath him. And God is so wide that you can't go around him. God is always with us because he's omnipresent. Do you realize what that means? It means you can never leave God behind because he never leaves you behind. And you may feel lonely, but you are never alone. Everywhere you go, God is right there behind you to encourage, beside you to protect you, and before you to guide you. And so third in our, your outline, consider that we can trust the God who is omnipotent in his power. The word omnipotent comes again from the Latin word omne, meaning all, and the word potence, meaning powerful. So literally, it means all-powerful. God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. God can do anything that does not contradict his character or his word. Obviously, there are some things that God himself cannot do. God cannot lie. God cannot die. God cannot do wrong. God cannot tempt someone else to do wrong. But anything consistent with his character, God can do. Now, just to illustrate how powerful God is, David does something very surprising. He doesn't talk about the stars or, or the sun or the moon 
or the universe or the galaxies. Instead, he simply points to the human body. Iconic pollster George Gallup once said this, quote, I could prove God statistically if I had to. Take the human body alone. The chance that all the functions of the human being would just happen is a statistical monstrosity. End of quote. David was no doctor, and he had no medical training. He didn't know nearly as much as we know today about what a finely tuned engine the human body is. But he could see even thousands of years ago, that the human body must have been created by a great God. Verse 13 states, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. David said, I'm not here because of mother nature, because of fate or chance. God formed me and he formed my inward parts. God created me in my mother's Womb. And he continues to say in verses 15 and 16, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the ocean, of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Now listen to the last part of verse 16. All the days, all the days ordained for me were in your book before one of them came to be. Listen. Our bodies were woven together by God. To just name a few things. Your brain can store a hundred trillion facts. Your mind can handle 15,000 decisions a second. Your nose can smell up to 10,000 different odors. Your touch can detect an item one twenty-fifth thousandth of an inch, and your tongue can taste one part of quinine in two million parts of water. The point is this, that the human body is not an evolutionary accident that was thrown together by chance, but a miracle that was purposefully put together by a great God. And that's why David exclaims in verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He said, just look at the human body in all of its majesty and intricacy and see the greatness of God. And now in addition, take the body as a whole. Our body contains over 30 trillion cellular machines that carry genetic information throughout. The genetic information contained in each cell of the human body is roughly equivalent to a library of 4,000 books. If you're going to catalog all the genetic information in your body, it would take a library big enough to hold 30 trillion times 4,000. Only an omnipotent God with all powerful hands and mind could create this magnificent machine called a human body. But then David begins to think about how God thinks. He writes in verses 17 and 18, How precious to me are your thoughts. 
How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would odd number the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Clearly, David cannot get his mind around God's mind. God's mind contains more thoughts than all the thoughts in all the minds that have ever thought put together. And they're not only greater in quantity, they're greater in quality. The simplest thought that God has ever had is higher than the greatest thought the most brilliant person has ever made. Now what God said to the prophet Isaiah takes on even more meaning. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, listen. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declared the Lord. Now listen to the next verse. As the heavens are higher than the earth, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Astronomers have seen galaxies 14.3 billion light years from earth. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. It only takes eight minutes to travel the 93 million miles from, from Earth to the sun. Eight minutes to travel 93 million miles. How far is the distance light travels in one year? That's called a light year. Light from the furthest galaxy takes 14.3 billion years to get here. That distance is incomprehensible. God says that is the distance between his thoughts and our thoughts, his ways and our ways. And we are underestimating God's greatness by the distance of at least 14.3 billion light years. And science continues to add to that distance. If God is this great, then ask yourselves this question. What problem do I have that God cannot solve? The answer is none. What is there in my life that I cannot trust him with? The answer is nothing. In fact, Not only can you trust him here on earth, but you can trust him for eternity. Listen to how David closes this magnificent psalm. Verses 23 and 24 state, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Everlasting. When God searches our hearts, he sees the envy, the pride, the jealousy, and the selfishness that we all battle with. When God reads our thoughts, he sees the lust, the bitterness, the greed that we all deal with. So how can we ever hope to have a relationship with this great, magnificent God? Listen. This great God came to us in human flesh and died on a cross so that he could lead us in the way everlasting. And it was through Jesus that God did the impossible. 
In paying for all of our sins, he accomplished the inconceivable, and he did it without excusing our sins. He solved the insoluble, and he remained just while doing it. And he did it all, not through computers or iPhones, iPads, or modern technology. He did it all through a manger, a cross, and an empty tomb. This God is so great. He cannot be contained by the universe. But faith in Christ, he can live with us in our hearts. What a great God he is. Now this message describing the greatness of God was delivered in less than 30 minutes. And we will spend an eternity knowing God. And in all that eternal time, I believe that we will never stop learning about God. So this morning as we go, let's go with the awareness that this great God loves us and we are his children. He is our God. Amen.